What's up, everyone? Jared Sandler here getting ready for episode 30 of the Justice Seg podcast. We've reached the big 3-0, and we've got a great guest to represent this milestone. Before we get to our guest and the conversation, just want to remind you, I'd really appreciate if you would subscribe to my YouTube channel. And maybe more than that, I'd appreciate if you'd share these conversations with people who you think would enjoy them. Uh, maybe it's a conversation with an athlete. Share it with your sports fan friends. Maybe it's a conversation like the one I had with former CIA operative Tracy Walter, which you can find on my channel. Uh, send it to your friends who you think would find that sort of thing interesting. I'd really, really appreciate it. And of course, I'd love to hear from you. You can tweet me at Jared Sandler, Instagram at Jared Sandler underscore. And of course, you can just post in the comment section below. But we got to get to episode 30. That was just an appetizer. Uh, you'll get that joke in a second. It's not a good joke. It's about as good of a dad joke as I can come up with. But one of my really good friends, someone who I met a few years ago and is on the board of my charity, the Sandlot Children's Charity, is the man who makes it all possible at the iconic DFW Steakhouse, Nick and Sam's. It's Chef Samir Durandar, who has such an interesting story coming to America from India, landing at Nick and Sam's, and creating this giant of a restaurant. And I'm excited to share Samir's story and the restaurant story with you. Because right now, it's time for episode 30 of the Just a Sec podcast. All right, Samir, so the first question I like asking people is about their childhood. Nothing specific. You can take it in whatever direction you'd like. But when you think back to your childhood, uh, what are the, the things that stand out? Either, you know, hobbies, interests, you know, people who really influenced you, experiences, you don't need to answer all of those, but but what are the things that really jump out at you when you think back to your childhood? Uh, probably my mother. Um, you know, I, being a chef right now, I owe it all to my mom. Uh, she was a great, great cook, and uh, she pretty much taught me a lot. I used to do, uh, she used to hold cooking classes, and I would be the little sous chef that would help her out. But just overall, she just kind of, open my eyes towards food. You know, we always sat together as a family and ate dinner. And uh, my mom would put out anywhere from four to five proteins and four to five vegetables. And it was always a feast, uh, dinner time. And uh, she kind of got me interested in, in this career I have right now. Uh, influences, uh, I'll one one little one little story I can tell you is uh, the first uh, 1989 was the first time we ever came to the U.S. My parents brought us here and uh, to go to Disney Disney World. We were to Disney World in Florida. My dad had studied in UCLA, so after Florida, we went came to Santa Barbara, where his best friend lived there, and we were staying with him for a while. One morning, Uncle Bob comes comes to me. I was I was in the pool, and he says can you come into the kitchen real quick? And I walked into the kitchen and there was a lady standing there. Uncle Bob says, Samir, do you know who this is? And I said, uh, apologize. I don't. He says, this is Julia child. And 
it kind of all came together. I sat and talked to Julia for about an hour, hour and a half about cooking and about life and and just pretty much anything under the sun. And uh, she, uh, she told me, she said, you know, you should, if you're that interested, go to the Culinary Institute. And that's what I did the very next year. I went back, when I went back to India, I applied and I came, I came to the Culinary Institute in, in 1990. Uh, three months into the program, Julia was there signing books. And I put my book down in front of her and she looked up at me and she said, Samir, how wonderful to see you. It blew my mind that she remembered me, and uh, we talked for a little bit. But you know, she's been a big influence, I think, for a lot of chefs, not just me. You know, she brought us in, into the limelight, and you know, we thank her for it. Uh, our first year when we opened Naked Sam's, uh, she was here for a private luncheon, and I went up to her and I kind of gave her a little tidbit about the story I just told you, and she looked at me and she said, "Samir, I'm so sorry, I don't remember you." But these are the best French fries I've ever eaten in my life. <laughs> so I really, really, really made my day. So, you know, between my mom and, and a little bit of Julia, I think uh, it, it gave me a good, good enough push to do what I wanted to do. What were some of your other interests? And in, in you grew up in India. What were, other than, you know, the food and, and culinary arts, what were some of your other interests growing up? Um. You know, sports, I played a lot of soccer, and you, you wouldn't think that now if you look at me, but I played a lot of soccer and, and uh, cricket, uh, a lot of ping pong. I was in, in, represented my school in ping pong, so that was that was pretty cool. Um, you know, I'm a, a big fan of, you know, I've had a lot of friends, a lot of friends, and we lived in this apartment building uh, that, you know, we had, we were about 18 of us that hung out together all the time. So between the friends and uh, I wasn't a very good student, as you would you would think. That was always a struggle for me. But uh, you know, just you know, I I loved the outdoors at that time. We would always be out, be at the beach, be you know down downstairs play soccer, whatever. But uh, very active then, not anymore. I. Okay, so you mentioned the friends. One of the things I wanted to ask you, and in, in, in full disclosure, you know, you are one of my closest friends for people listening, and, and you're on the board of my charity. Uh, and you, I, I don't know that anyone can say or has ever said a bad thing about you, and you're so involved in community work and giving back. I, I guess I'm just curious where that came from. I, you know, it, it's interesting you mentioned having a lot of friends growing up and. You know, I think that's obviously the case now, but your your love for people and the community, even even people in the community you might not know, uh, where did that come from? I think uh, I would say I've been blessed with a great life. I've been blessed with a great job, working with great people, uh, working with the staff. No one else could, I could never ask for another better staff. I have two bosses that, treat me like royalty. Um, I have a great family. I have a beautiful wife, two kids, and I couldn't ask for anything better. So when you see stuff going around where people are hurting, you know, people are kind of all over the place, is, is, you know, what can I do to give back? You know, I have everything. I need to give back. It just, it, I feel obligated that I got to do something for people. And you know what? In a way, it satisfies me. Uh, just 
you know, for example, you go, you stopped at a light and there's a, you know, a, a, a panhandler comes up to you and asks for some money. And I always give them money. I don't know where the money is going to be used. I don't know what it's going to be used for. And hopefully, you know, to better their life. But I know I did my part. That's the way I look at it. So during this whole COVID thing, and we were, we were just doing takeout and delivery and, you know, the revenue wasn't there, but a lot of our guests donated a lot of money to the restaurant to say, hey, you know what, give this to your staff. And, you know, I love my staff, but I wanted to give it back to the people who are really working, working hard for us. And that's what I did. We fed over 2,000 meals. And, uh, you know, I feel good about it because I think I did my part. And uh, I wish a lot of people would think that way. It, 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 does, it does go a long way. All right. So you you grew up in India. You have raised two kids here in America. I, I know you you maybe can't speak through the lens of growing up in America through your own experiences, but maybe perhaps through theirs. Culturally, what are some of the biggest differences uh, about your experiences growing up in India and what you've seen either from your kids or just people in general growing up here in America? I think the big thing is family. Um you know, we were very close knit as a family. We, I have two older sisters, and you know, we talked about dinner earlier. Well, my dad would always say, "I don't care what's going on, you know, whatever you're doing, but eight o'clock in the evening, we meet at this dining table and have dinner together, whether we speak a word or not." And that's kind of it was always every religious holiday or anything we would be together, and that makes a big difference. And not saying that we don't do it now. I think it's it's a little different growing up, even in my generation to the generation now. There's so much uh, between the technology and between everything that is available to you. I think it's it's a little different. But we, myself and Laurie, try to keep things a little more family oriented. To hey, you know, play a board game every uh, every uh, Monday evening, you know, all together, whether it's for ten minutes or twenty minutes, whatever it is, but just get everyone together and makes a big difference. Uh, me growing up, I was uh, fortunate enough to uh, to be in a family that is was pretty well off, um, but I wasn't exposed to a lot of things in terms of hey, you know what, I never got a chance to. Uh, go out of the country till I was 18. You know, um, you know, my kids, are, they've been blessed where we have taken them out of the country and they've seen different things. But I want them to see different things. You know, I see a different culture in India compared to the culture here. Um, and I'm not saying anything bad about it, but it's it's two different, uh, two different mediums. And uh, it's good to have accomplished both. All right. When you moved to America, what were some of the biggest challenges you dealt with with that transition, whether it was professionally or, you know, culinary school or just, you know, personally away from that? What were some of the things you remember being most difficult? Um, the biggest thing I thought was just adapting. And a lot of people don't want to adapt. I think uh, you have to you have to stop what you're doing and adapt to your situation. I, I kind of went into the culinary. That was my first time going to college, going to going to school in, in America, and meeting different people. Um, you know, my roommate was eighteen years old. 
or not not even 18 he was yeah 16 years old and i was i was like 22 um somewhere there but just to walk in and he had a look in his face saying oh my god i got to spend two semesters with this guy and you know we kind of started talking and and you know he asked me all these questions where i'm from and blah 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 do i listen to music and I said, yeah, you know, and then I said, you know what, this guy, I asked, he says, where are you from? I said, from India. And he says, where's that? And I said, you know what, I'm going to take this guy for a ride. And he asked me all these questions, and at the end up saying, he ended up believing my, me that my dad was the king of the western region of India, and I was a prince. And he would go and tell everyone in school about it, and people would bow down. Believe me not, going to class in the hallways, people would bow down and say hello to me. So it was pretty funny. But, you know, I see that I see that ignorance uh, in school. It was a little difficult in the beginning. Um, just, for example, our first class was product identification, where they put on all these vegetables, all these meats up front of the table. And you have to list them and identify them. I've uh, never seen half of them. Never seen radicchio. Never seen fennels. A lot of herbs. Never seen and I got a D in that class. And uh, there's a gentleman sitting next to me. I don't want to mention any name, but he was sitting next to me, and he started laughing because I got a D. And that day I vowed that, you know what, I'm going to keep in touch with this guy throughout my career and to see where he is and where I am. And just that kind of gave me a spark to really, really work hard because you're all you're on your own. You know, it's uh, in in a foreign country. I was lucky enough to have a sister. And she still lives in Long Island, New York, to go back to. And they gave me a lot of advice. But again, for the most part, you're all alone, and you got to learn to adapt. All right, so I'm curious, and, and you kind of shed some light on this, I guess, with your answer, but what were when you came to America, you went to school, what were your natural strengths as a chef, and, and where did you need the most work? I would say the natural strength uh, as as a as a student that I was willing to learn. I was willing to learn everything and anything that came across my way. Um, as a disadvantage, I I was I was working with ingredients that I had never seen before. So that was also in, you could look at it as a disadvantage, disadvantage or an advantage. I I. In a way, it was it was difficult, uh, just because I had to spend extra time than anyone else in my class to really, really know about this. Uh, you know, foods like sushi. You know, I've never seen that before. You know, uh, coming from India, and so it was kind of difficult. Even it was it was kind of awkward to go out with your friends, and they would go to a sushi bar and know how to order sushi, and I had no clue. You know, so it was kind of, it was a big change for me. But again, I took a step back, and as I said, you have to adapt to your situation. And you know what? It's not, it's it's not bad to ask somebody saying, "Hey, you know what? How do I cut this? How do I cut this red pepper? I've never seen a red pepper before." You know, but a lot of people are not willing to take that first step. All right. So one of your your I guess big bullet points in your resume was when you were named the executive chef at Sfuzi's. And I think I read that you were the first chef allowed to create your own mem menu for the whole conglomerate. What, what all goes into that 
uh, like creating a menu and, and doing it not just for one location, but for several. What was that process like, and what do you remember about that experience? Um, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I inherited that from my, my first chef. His name is Richard Pietromonico, and I always look up to him because he taught me a lot. But, you know, I, I took over that position knowing that my restaurant was the flagship restaurant of the company. And we were right across from Lincoln Center in New York. And, uh, you know, they told me, hey, Samir, you can you can do what you want to do. You don't have to follow company rules. And, um, you know, the, the corporate chef wasn't very, very happy with it. But that's where I learned that you got to give people what they want. You, you cannot cook what you want to cook. And a lot of chefs do that. They, they put stuff on their menu that they like to eat. And, you know, a lot of guests don't, don't like it. And that's where we fail. And that's where I learned. I did fail. You know, I put stuff on the menu that people didn't want to eat and, you know, didn't want to come back because we changed the menu. And that's where I learned that, hey, you know what, you've got to step back, look at what your guests want and cook that way. Um, as, as, you know, I, I really didn't have a lot to do with the rest of the company. But uh, as our store, we were we were the number one store for a long time, till uh, till Vegas opened up and Vegas kind of took it over. All right, and what led you to Nick and Sam's? What were the steps that brought you here to the Metroplex and, and specifically to uh, to Nick and Sam's, where you are to this day? Well, um, the owner of Fuzzy, his name was Patrick Colombo. Um, you know, I worked for him for a long time, always kept in touch with him. And uh, he partnered up with the Phil Romano to open up Nick and Sam's. And that's it's called Nick and Sam's. Nick is Patrick Colombo's son. Sam is Phil Romano's son. And Patrick gave me a call and asked me if I would like to come out to be a chef here. And, um, you know, that's, that's what I was good in New York. I was working, um, I was running a couple of breweries in New York. And, um, you know, I decided, yeah, why not? Let me take a drive up there. You never know what's going to happen. And uh, sure enough, that's the best drive I ever had. You drove from New York to Dallas? Yes, sir. You didn't want to fly? Uh, I didn't have any money to fly. I had $60 <laughs> in my account, and uh, I I drove my green Honda Civic and uh, with all my stuff in the car, and and I landed up in Dallas. All right, so what do you remember about the early days of Nick and Sam's? And also, I guess, what... What was your what was your role when you first joined? I mean, was your role the same then as it is now, or was it a little different? Oh, it was very different. I was just the chef. Now, my 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 responsibility was the kitchen and the food. Uh, the food also, I didn't have. I had a little bit of influence on the food, but not a lot. You know, we the the, the Romanos and Patrick, and they want they knew what they wanted on the menu you know, between the steaks and certain fish. But, you know, we had a, we, I had a little bit of influence. Um, it was hard in the beginning. It was busy. Uh, people had a lot of expectations. Uh, and hopefully we met up to them. But it was very hard in the beginning. Um, I'm a strong believer in staff. And uh, I've always felt that staff is always number one. And um, that's why I take care of my, my kitchen people. As of now, uh, about 70% of my kitchen is guys who started off with me in 1999. And uh, I'm proud of it, you know, because they like working here. I treat them well. Uh, 
And you know what? It's a busy restaurant. My role kind of changed uh, a little bit down the road uh, where I started doing a lot more front of the house and uh, and kind of developed into a situation where, uh, you know, I'm right now running the place, all the place. So it's 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 a matter of stabilizing yourself where you are. And, and I did with the kitchen so I could walk out of there and deal with other things and try to make things better. Uh, but, you know, our first two years was great. And then we fell into a lull. Uh, first three, four years were great. And then we f- kind of fell into a lull and we were just doing average business and we were kind of scared to see where it was going. But, um, and then suddenly, uh, after the Super Bowl hit, this became the place to be. And, um, uh, this place was busy and it kind of gave us a kickstart. And ever since Super Bowl, we've always done better numbers than the previous year up to today. It's it, been good. When you say the Super Bowl, do you mean when the Super Bowl was here in in DFW? Uh, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That that really really helped a lot because uh, you know people who were living around here coming to staying around here and they knew that this was the place to be and it it was crazy for that Thursday through Sunday. You, you mentioned running the restaurant. What are your core? values in running the restaurant obviously i think people would be one of them you've identified that what what are some of the other things that you think are most important to running a successful restaurant i think number one is the guest you know uh we've got got to take care of the guests because uh otherwise they're going to go somewhere else um i whenever i whenever there's a waiter that goes on the floor he needs to kind of spiel me out before he goes on the floor Biggest thing I tell the waiters is, hey, you know, let us know whatever's happening at your table, you know, good or bad, because we can fix it in-house. Otherwise, once the guest leaves, it's very hard for us, if we did mess up, to bring him back. Number two is never say no. They're not in a position to say no. You know, if someone wants something, I'd go down the street and go pick it up for them. Now, I'm sure there are, there, there's a lot of ex- times where we we really cannot do anything but i'd rather have the chef or the manager go by and hey you know what here's the chef's card why don't you give us a call or let us know when you're coming in next we'll make it for you you know um it's kind of hard to do it today so you've got to give the guest a choice and you know same thing with reservations people call you know they want a 7 30 i apologize 7 30 is not available give them options you know you don't want to lose a guest and uh it's 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 it really bothers me and uh again getting back to the whole culture thing with the guest the guest is you know we say the guest is always right and you know rightfully so most of the time they're always right what's oh sorry go ahead no 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 go ahead well i was gonna ask what's one of the wackiest off-menu requests that you remember that you were able to fulfill hmm I've been here 22 years now, so I really, really got to go back and think about this. But uh, uh, and nothing really stands out, you know, because uh, we always step back and say, let's go make it and let's do something. But nothing, you know, if, if I think of something, I will let you know. Okay. Uh, how do you, Samir, there, there are a lot of, I guess, restaurants that would fit the same genre. Uh, is Nick and Sam's. And I guess, uh, you know, on a given night, if a family is trying to figure out where to eat and they're thinking, you know, chilies or Applebee's, they're probably not 
thinking Nick and Sam's among those choices, but you know, they're, they're thinking, all right, let's, you know, we want to go somewhere, have a, have a really good meal. You know, they're thinking Nick and Sam's and, you know, I know you're, you're, you're really close with Bob Samble and, and, you know, maybe they think of Bob's what's the it factor for Nick and Sam's what's the separating factor you think that draws so many people to your restaurant and, and why it is filled to the brim every single night. I always say people go to a restaurant to go eat their food. But second time they go is for their service. That's the way I look at it. If you give them both at 100% level, you have a guest that won't go anywhere else. Every, You know what? Bob's got the same steak, same meat that I do. You know, he serves it the way he wants to serve it. I think we provide the flair around it with the meat on the plate and the swarm service of all the sides and, and, and the piano playing in the background, the energy of the dining room. Uh, you know, while they're eating the steak, they see this big cotton candy going out to another table. It's just little things that provide, provide little stimulation I try to provide. Um, seven layer cakes you know no one no one does that around town uh you know i'm 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 working on a ice cream donut sandwich right now no one's doing in town so there's all you've got to give the guests something new all the time you got you know um it's 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 you know i'm going to start making my own bread here you have to keep keep up with the trends keep up with a lot of lot of restaurants stay stagnant and they're very happy with what they're doing. And, you know, that's okay. But, I, you know, we have to, pro- I, I believe in providing something different for the guest every time they come. All right. You mentioned the staff. And, again, I, I'm not BSing you, certainly, or, or the listeners. But, um, you know, I've had the pleasure of, of spending some time at the restaurant and, and getting to know people on staff. And they all adore you. And, you know, you, you, you referenced earlier taking care of them. And that's maybe a simple way to look at it. But what are the things, how do you balance uh, the relationships and and how do you take care of them? Because I know, you know, a kitchen can be intense. And I know, you know, because of the the variable that is the guest and the customer, sometimes, you know, you deal with conflict. It's not always hunky-dory. Yet, you know, these people won't say a bad thing about you. Uh, if you offered to pay them a million dollars because they can't. So clearly from a leadership standpoint, you are uh, advanced as a leader uh, and as a boss and and as a teammate. So I I know you said you take care of them, but but what are the things that you do or or how do you cultivate that trust in those relationships? Um, You can take care of people in, in, in different ways. Uh, you know, yes, the people who've been here for a while get paid pretty well. And you know what? The restaurant does well, so we can afford to pay them well. Um, first of all, I think you just got to put everyone in an atmosphere that is is good, is happy, is healthy. Um, that's number one. Number two, you know, we work hard enough to provide that the restaurant is busy all the time. So we're not sending people home because it's slow or anything like that. So, you know, people make their money, make their, they know that on a given week that they can do their 40 hours, if not more. Uh, The biggest thing is for me is to getting to know them. 
there's a big difference between walking down the line and saying, hey, how's your family doing? How are your kids doing? What are they up to? It makes a big difference. You know, that, you know, a, a pat on the back saying, what a great job you did tonight. You know, it, it, those are the little things that really want people to be, you want to be around those kind of people. And uh, I have a boss, you know, and I, both the bosses, but mostly Joe Palladino, who's, who's my partner and my boss, is very good at that. You know, he will, he will tell me the things that I want to hear as a, from a boss. And uh, you know what? It makes you feel that you're in a good situation and doesn't allow you to think that, hey, you know what? Maybe I should look somewhere else or some of this. It's, it, it just, it's just that little feeling of knowing that, hey, you know what? He's looking out for you. He knows I'm around here. So that's what I, I would say that's what makes a big difference. All right. You mentioned, uh, you know, the, the menu and, and, hey, you know, you, you, you cook and, and you serve the guests. It's not necessarily what you want. And, and you also just talked about trying new things. And I think that's uh, a really cool element of, of Nick and Sam's. How do you approach, I guess, the freedom to be creative? And, and I'm curious, what's the best thing you've tried? Something that just became an absolute hit? And what's something that you uh, tried and it just, you know, for whatever reason, didn't work out? As I said, I'm, I'm always looking at what guests like. And uh, I try to take the simple things and make them a little better. For example, a few years ago, we decided to, you know, we, we were doing a fried lobster. And I said, hey, you know what, let's, let's do a buffalo-style lobster. And we made a buffalo sauce and we did a buffalo line. That, that went really well. Uh, one day I was eating uh, Chinese food. I forget where, but we had Kung Pao shrimp and we were eating that. And I said, you know what? Why can't I do a Kung Pao lobster? And we started doing a Kung Pao lobster, and those two have really stuck around for a while, and people love it. The cotton candy, uh, the simplest thing you can do, but I, I decided to do it bigger. I want a showstopper. I want people to stop and stop what they're eating and turn around and see and, and say, what's that? You know, the sushi, and, uh, you know, I, I won't take full credit for the sushi, but, you know, Joe Palladino was, you know, insisting that I would do it. And we finally did, and I think that's one of the best additions we've had in the last few years. Um, the things that, you know, there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot of things that haven't really worked. You know, we've tried different, different things, but they haven't worked. And nothing really stands out, but uh, you have to keep trying. You know, you have to. You never know what's going to stick, what people are going to like. And if you want, the minute you stop trying, that's where you get stagnant. What I'm curious what I've never really asked you about this food critics. I, like if you watch a movie about a, a restaurant, you know, the, the food critic is the antagonist and, and usually a part of it. Uh, do you have what are your experiences and in, in relationships like with food critics and how much do you even worry about food critics now that, you know, this restaurant is established? Oh, you know, food critics, I believe, sometimes can make you or break you, you know, especially in a city in New York. And, uh, you know, where if there's a solid food critic, a lot of people follow it. You know, um, we have we've had really good food critics here. And I have, you know, a lot of chefs have a lot against them. You know, yes, it's upsetting to read a bad review, but, you know, you've got to step back and say, hey, you know what? Maybe they were right. Maybe that chicken was overcooked or maybe that steak was not seasoned well, you know, and it gives you a chance to kind of 
look back and talk about the chicken with your chefs and talk about the steak with your chefs and try to make it better. Um, as I said, yes, it's upsetting with food critics coming to your restaurant and, and kind of judging what you do just from, from their taste where you just fed 400 other people that had a great time. If, you know, people do read that and say, Hey, I'm not going there. And that's great. You know what? But we have to get better at what we do, you know, and that's why we are busy. We are busy because we try to be better than yesterday. All the time. I try to push my managers, my staff, my chefs to get better. And the minute, again, the minute you stop, they're going to go somewhere else that's getting better. And that's what I'm most afraid of. And I get nervous when walking into a restaurant and there's only 200 on the books. And uh, it's, it's nerve-wracking to me because we should be doing 400. Even last month with everything going on in the country, we had tremendous sales, tremendous sales. I was surprised where we were. And, uh, it, 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 you know, we've been closed for a week because of the curfew. We opened on Saturday. And Saturday, what, about 2 o'clock, we were told that uh, you can open. And by 10 o'clock, we had done 450 covers. You know, so it goes to show that, hey, you know what, you need, we need to create a place where it's a safe bet. There are a lot of guests who come here that can only dine once in every six months because that's what they save their money for. I want them to come here and they say, you know what, we need to go to Nick and Sam's because we're going to have a great experience there. We are in the business of making memories for people. And the minute we stop doing that, we will be closed. All right. Last thing, last topic I want to cover. Your restaurant has become, I mean, it's a destination. I, I don't know how many people come in from out of town, particularly just because this is the world I'm, I guess, more familiar with. I certainly don't have this lifestyle, but you know, with the, the athletic world, athletes, coaches, uh, you know, they come to town for a game, for a series, whatever it's, you know, you can oftentimes find them uh, at Nick and Sam's uh, Dirk, you know, there, there's recently coverage about, uh, you know, the restaurant and, and, and athletes specifically Dirk and, uh, the, the connection to the Mavericks and, you know, there, there are plenty of the, the big name Cowboys that come in. I mean, this, this restaurant is, is evolved into a destination. Well, is that a source of pride? Is that uh, a source of pressure because, you know, expectations, what, how do you approach the fact that so many quote unquote celebrities view this as their go-to spot? I think there's pressure every day. The minute there's no pressure, that's when, you know, people kind of just just uh, slide to the side. Uh, there's got to be pressure who's coming in. You know, yes, every chef says everyone's a VIP. Yes, absolutely. You know, but there are certain people who do come in here that we do go the extra mile for, and for many reasons, because we know how they support us. Uh, we know how many times they come in. And, um, you know, we know how many people they're going to let tell, you know, just, you know, Dirk's been a great advocate for Nick and Sam's and, uh, you know, I'm blessed to be friends with him too. And, uh, he's a different animal. You know, he just, uh, he is such a, such a down to earth person and he doesn't expect a lot, but you know what? We have to, because he, he sent, he's, he is, the number one athlete in this town and always will be in my eyes. Um, those, those are the people that, you know, we, 
we go out of the way for, do special things for. And you know what? We need to do that with every guest. And but you know, but those some people do stand out, and that we need to go after football players. The young players like the atmosphere here, not mainly the dining room, more so the bar, where you know it's a little more energetic. The music is different. The service is a little lax compared to the dining room, and you know, shouldn't be saying this, but there are certain athletes that we give them a little code on their phone that they can play their music in there. And you know what? <laughs> As an athlete, I'd love that. You know, go there and play my own music, eat some great food, and go home. Um, so the the little amenities we give some of our celebrity friends, and, and uh, you know, it goes a long way. They tell all the teams that, you know, different teams give us a call saying, hey, can you cater our locker room? Can you do this? You know, Golden State has been, you know, we've been catering Golden State for last, four years now, every time they come into town and they love it, you know, and uh, it, it's good to know that again, they have a, they have a place they can go to and make sure everything will be perfect. And, and you know, I think one of the things I, I respect and appreciate most about you is that you don't just totally kowtow to all these celebrities. I mean, you expect them to treat people right. And whereas I think some people, Oh, well, you know, it's fill in the blank celebrity. He can do whatever he wants. He can do no wrong. You know, I, I think the 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 athletes, the celebrities who maybe are regulars, who you have those relationships with, you have those because they treat people right. You know, they they go about things the right way, and you're not afraid to let them know or, or let uh, anyone know really if they're not going about things the right way or treating people right. I just I, I think that's a really cool thing because I think some people would be scared to do that because it's a you know a, a you know a powerful celebrity, but that just doesn't seem to capture you. What captures you uh, are people who treat people the right way. Absolutely. You got to, you got to, I don't care how high you are and what you do. You've got to take the time to treat people right. And, uh, you know, it may, at every restaurant you see celebrities going there. A lot of chefs will pick up their check, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, I have a few here and there that will come and I'll pick up the check. But in turn, these athletes tip the waiters, $500 $500 on a $200 that check, whatever that check was, it, that goes a long way that knows that, Hey, you know what? I'm going to take care of you every time you come in here because you didn't have to do that. And so it, it, the staff treating people. Sure. Absolutely. That it means a lot to me. And, you know, I treat everyone the way I think I should be treated. And Hopefully that's a good thing, but uh, it goes a long way when you do treat people right. Is Sean Sharif the biggest celebrity who graces your presence at Nick and Sam's? I really, I was looking to hire Sean as valet, but he kind of just became a friend of mine, you know? Uh, (laughs) Sean's a good guy. God bless him. Well, Samir might be on to something. I'd love to see Sean get his hands dirty at the restaurant. Uh, we might have to cook something up, if you will, and make that happen. Well, that was episode 30 of the Justice Sec podcast with my friend, Chef Samir Durandar. And I hope, if nothing else, after listening to that conversation, uh, you take away how good of a person Samir is. He is incredibly involved in the community and a lot of people say, well, I want to treat people how I'd like to be treated. 
I don't know if there's anyone in DFW, anyone I know who demonstrates that as well as Samir does. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Justice Sec podcast. I'm trying to release two conversations a week, so be on the lookout because we've got more coming. 30 down and a whole lot more to go.